Today's guest on raising your antenna is unfortunately an endangered species, or at least the political equivalent of one. She is truly bipartisan, measured, and nuanced in her opinions, and is full of the type of conviction that is balanced with intellectual humility. My guest today on Raising Your Antenna is Heather Reams, Executive Director of Citizens for Responsible Energy Solutions. In that role, Heather is spearheading Clean Energy Week 2020, a week-long event that urges Americans of all walks of life to consider the impact that clean energy has in their communities and to help advance a future powered by clean energy technologies. Heather and I had a fascinating conversation that touched on the respective roles of the public sector, both federal and state, as well as the private sector in advancing a clean energy future. We agreed on a lot, disagreed on some, but the tenor of the conversation, and one that I hope can be mimicked by our political leaders, was characterized by mutual respect, data-driven arguments, and an understanding that while reasonable people can disagree on how to get there, the goalposts must be climate change mitigation. Back with Heather and the time it takes to gargle some Listerine in the morning. You're listening to Raising Your Antenna with host Keith Sackheim. Hello, Heather, and welcome to Raising Your Antenna. So happy to have you here. Great to be here. So Heather, if you can please provide my listeners with your professional journey and how you ended up as the executive director at Citizens for Responsible Energy Solutions. Well, I guess in a nutshell, um, when I graduated from the University of Washington with a poli-sci degree, I had worked for Senator Gordon, Senator Slade Gordon from Washington State, and uh, the environment was a, a pretty big issue in, in Washington State, and the senator had an active role in our natural resources in particular. So when I came to Washington, D.C., um, you know, I had an, always had an interest in um, the, the area of in the environment and energy. But you know, when you come to Washington and you're the low person on the totem pole, and when I say that, I mean I open the mail for a US, another U.S. senator. <laughs> um, you get to I learn did that. a lot about- I did that one summer <laughs> when I was 15 for the Honorable Chick Heck, Senator from Nevada. I grew up in Washington, D.C., so- yeah. I was I was opening a lot of mail and then using that machine for his signature on response. Oh, the auto pen. Oh, sure. Yep, yeah, yeah. Yep. So I, I did that too. So, but you know, when you open the mail, you read a lot. You learn a lot. <laughs> exactly. So uh, you're pretty well informed. So you, know, you, you get to learn a little bit about a lot of things. Um, I, I left the Hill eventually and went into lobbying and public affairs. I mean, those guys that came in when I was got to answer the phones that came in, there's ladies and guys that came in with the sharp suits and the nice shoes. It seemed like, you know, that's what I should do. I should go be a lobbyist. And, you know, I can have that too. You know, you're 23. It looks pretty, you know, pretty amazing. So, um, you know, I worked at a lot of public affairs firms and um, kind of made my way to, through Crest by, I mean, I've always been cause oriented, mission oriented. So I've done a lot of um, education reform work. And one of the expertise I've gotten is to bridge um, issues where there's a lot of partisanship. So I had this in education I worked on and had an issue, you know, interest in, in trying to continue that skill, although it would be another area. So I, you know, had connected with the people who are founding Crest and wanting to take it to the next level. And uh, I thought, well, this is exactly what I want to do. And I say that also because I'm a, I've been a mom now for 12 years, but I think when you become a parent, there's something about 
you know, things being bigger than yourself and recognizing what's going on um, with the climate and our environment and, you know, passing on to another generation, your own generation, you know, that you created, there's something responsible about that, right? That you want to do. So um, it, it's now it's work, but it's also like there's personal gratification as well as, you know, professional gratification. So I don't think you can ask for much more than that um, doing your day-to-day work. So yeah, it's kind and, of the thumbnail. <laughs> yeah, and Heather, good for you. And um, I think uh, you know one of the things that, that really resonates with me is, is your ability to, uh, you know, facilitate bipartisanship, facilitate cooperation. Uh, you know, the Henry Clay great compromiser type, which in today's environment where it's so polarized, uh, and there are such big problems that need you know bipartisan solutions, it's really great to have someone like you out there fighting that good fight. So thank you for that. And I'm I'm really excited to have you on. And we're (laughs) going to talk about National Clean Energy Week today. Uh, And um, before I get, uh, or before actually you get, and I'll give you the platform to do so, before you get to the programs and details and all the exciting things happening at Clean Energy Week, um, I want to unpack the advocacy agenda that undergirds the event. And and by advocacy, I don't necessarily mean the political Mm -hmm. or partisan piece, but rather the policy and behavioral call to actions? Yeah, great question. Well, you know, when you create a platform like National Clean Energy Week, you're gonna, you you wanna have a big tent, right? You wanna bring people together. Um, So the platform has gotta be pretty simple, and it is. Clean energy is good. Lowering emissions is good. Um, And this is unusual, I think, for a lot of conferences because we will, as people speaking um, virtually this year, instead of on stage, We'll disagree, right? And that's okay. Um, the idea is to, you know, just you know, find common ground. You know, continue a discourse um, in a, a positive manner, and bring together stakeholders and different kinds of stakeholders from different. It's finance, or it's the innovators, it's the policymakers, it's the stakeholder groups. We bring them together um, in a week to to talk about clean energy, and but also. When I found out, there's there was no Clean Energy Week, so it's a relatively new entity, Clean Energy Week for itself. There is Earth Day, but there isn't anything that just recognizes the value of clean energy. So this was created four years ago, and I, I took exception to that. There's like a, a, oh, Awareness Week for everything, or at least a day. I mean, right. so like donuts and martinis, right? So. Uh, it's like, well, wait, there's nothing for Clean Energy Week. They said, well, Earth Day. I'm like, ah, you know, not, Republicans won't come to that. We got <laughs> to figure something else out that's going to bring people together. So you know, lo and behold, we have Clean Energy Week. So we, we want to, you know, all boats rise. We want to talk about the value it is to our economy, to our national security, to our environment, to our energy and, and feeling our economy, really. So that's, that's really what it's about. Um, I hope we actually have differences. I'm sure we will. But I, I think it, what I've seen in my experience in, in helping to lead National Clean Energy Week and, and working with others, it just makes the tent bigger, more people to work yeah. with. Um, and I, I think that's, that's really what's going to help us advance clean energy um, and ultimately lowering emissions. Yeah, I agree. And you know, one of the things that I think people just, and again, there's so many reasons for this phenomenon, but the phenomenon is that most people, I think the vast majority of people agree on the goalposts, right? The goalposts are, let's have clean air. You know, let, let's let's mitigate climate change. Let's do whatever we can so these extreme weather events don't keep creating these massive forest fires or hurricanes. I mean, there's a lot of, th- the, the goalposts, where we want the world to end up, I think vast majority of people agree on. 
Now, how we get there is really policy. And policy is something that people can come at from different directions uh, with the same intent to get to those goalposts. And, and that's unfortunately, I think, where, where the political stuff uh, stirs the pot um, and confuses the issue. Uh, so, yeah, I think um, you know, you're spot on in terms of uh, uh, you know, what, what type of event and what type of uh, dialogue that we need. And um, related to that, you know, the media, which is my business, uh, you know, I'm always dealing with media, uh, so I have to be respectful. But the reality about media, and everybody <laughs> acknowledges that, even media, is that its business model is to frame every issue in the extremists. And the reason is, right, because they need clicks, they need viewers, and, and you know, every type of research has shown in terms of, you know, neuro, neuro, neuro behavior and neuropsychology that we get much more animated by things that are polarizing and, and extreme. So, um, you know, so that, so what happens then when you get to clean energy and the future of clean energy is, is the media loves to talk about both sides of the spectrum, but the extreme sides, right? So one side is the extreme threat, uh, of the green deal that it's socialist it's going to bankrupt us it's irresponsible that's one extreme articulation the right. other extreme is well no the other side they're climate change deniers and they don't care what happens and all they want to do is burn coal all day <laughs> and, and and what we got to do is we got to put both extremes to the side for the second and deal in the doable and you know as otto van bismarck called politics it's the art of the possible so i'm curious from your perspective as to which Again, behavioral paradigm shifts, policy pivots are possible in the near term. And let's call that near term five years. Okay. Yeah. So um, there, there's a lot to unpack there. And I just want to like, I'm just nodding my head yes in what you're saying. And some, in fact, some of the, the very words you use, I, I use too. Um, you know, there's going to be very different ways to get there. I'll make an observation and I'll get to the five years. You know, there's been so much of this, you know, should Republicans, um, you know, they were deniers, right? They're not, they're not accepting the science. And then I have engaged many who said, well, once you accept the science, you're going to understand why, um, why the left of center policies are what, what needs to happen. And, you know, I push, have pushed back and said, you know, I'm a, I'm a Republican. Um, I believe that climate change is real. I believe that humans have, you know, a lot to do with it. And, um, but I'm, I'm never going to say bring in big government to solve the problem. You know, I, I'm going to co at it as you know, the problem solving from a different way. And that we see that in all kinds of places, I mean, whether it's in military or school or healthcare, you name the issue. If you've got some kind of bipartisanship, there's you know, goalposts are there in some way. There's, you know, how do you get there? But I think that the, it's a pretty young conversation, it being a bipartisan conversation about climate change, right? So now you're starting to see Republicans less talk about, you know, whether or not we should do something. And yeah, it's real and there should be something done, but what is it? And it doesn't seem as aggressive as it needs to be as aggressive as what you know, scientists say. And I think that's where we're you know, grappling with that. But I do think... Um, Republicans are, are, are coming around. And it's what they're fearful of when they hear the words climate change, it, it signals to them dismantling of capitalism. <laughs> so right. they think Green New Deal, right? So when you yep. said, you know, oh, here's the Green New Deal, it's an extreme, it is an extreme. I would say that's, you know, one side and the other is denier is the other, just as you set up. But if Republicans, I think with that, you know, having the Green New Deal said, well, that's what you mean about addressing climate change. Well, 
there's a lot of room for us to maneuver here to be able to talk about clean energy um, and to talk about different kinds of technology like um, CCUS or others. So it, it gave Republicans some room to engage. And I think we need to now, they need to now you know, determine how they will engage, what policies will they engage. And you know, there's some fracturing I think you're seeing in, in the party. Um, so it's not solid, right? I think what's interesting, like the next five to 10 years is something we're grappling with, um, you know, a hurting economy and job loss, job loss numbers. And of course we see that in the clean energy sector, but this is the future. I mean, clean energy is the future. So you, you know, get the jobs today for tomorrow. Um, so, and it's in every state, in every district in the country, right? And it's, it's innovation, it's, you know, more manual labor, it's, um, it's, you know, building, it's contracting, it's every kind it's of It's marketing and public relations jobs. It's I mean, everything, that's what we do, right? right? I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. It's everything yeah. in every country. So what's every, every, every part of the, of the nation. So what's not to like, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, making the case to, to members of Congress or policymakers, this is a winning issue. This is this is jobs in your district, and I think that was the original intent of you know, why bringing clean energy to uh, Republicans. Like you know, it's jobs. This is how many jobs in your district, and it's not just the generation of the um, the energy. It's also the shipping and the manufacturing. It's also so, so much of this stuff is silly in the sense that you know history tends to frame things, and people don't have context for it. So, for example. If it had been Richard Nixon or Ronald Reagan on top of the White House putting in solar panels, that would have been associated as a Republican idea. Because it was Jimmy Carter, it became a Democrat idea. Because the reality is the market as it's evolved, I mean, just if you look at solar energy and the way the prices have plummeted. I remember, you know, 10 years ago being at a JP Morgan conference where everybody was, you know, talking about, do you think ever we'll get under one dollar, you know, a megawatt? And obviously now, I mean, that, that's a joke. Right. Um, so and, and it's been the private sector that's driven all of that innovation. Now there's been some government uh, incentives, but ultimately it was, you know, it, it was the private, it was the private sector that, that, uh, and the markets worked in that sense. So, um, you know, so much of this, again, I, I think is, I think is just how history frames things and then things become, you know, ossified in these two different, uh, you know, polar um, groupings and it becomes difficult to find the middle. But um, I have a question for you because I know that, you know, you obviously come out of the federal government or at least, uh, you know, the legislative branch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I know people, I always joke with my brother, my brother was also, uh, in the legislative branch for many years and then worked at, in, in federal, federal government departments. So he, he's a very wa- creature of Washington. And I always joke, you know, <laughs> you know, the federal government's great, but when things need to get done, it's a state and local government. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I certainly understand that that we do need the federal government, whether it's Congress, a DOE, you know, with executive branch, what have you. Um, you know, we need them to catalyze the clean energy industry, which in turn, I believe and you believe, will inject momentum into the post-COVID economic recovery. But at the end of the day, my perspective has been that it's the states where the real innovation and action takes place. So can you reflect on that and maybe provide some perspective on the respective roles of the federal and state governments? Great, great question. I think when you see from the national perspective, it's also this more of a market certainty. What's happening? You know, which yes. sh- direction are we rowing in together, right? And I think yep. that is, gives us more of the blanket. And then you've got what's going on in in the states. And um, you know, anyone who's working in a state is very state and local focused. 
So, you know, the siting issues that are, are going on, right? Or in working with a university and R&D or D, right? Um, yep. And doing that, that that's, that's where it counts and that's where the jobs count. So um, I, I think it takes both. And that's why it's important that you're, when you're seeing the federal government, you know, legislating or trying to legislate, they're not mucking up what you're trying to do in the states, right? And we see that sometimes with what's going on with FERC or others. Um, you know, what is the, the right of states property rights, for instance, who gets what? Um, you know, generating your own energy, selling it back to the grid. What does that look like, you know, in the yep. market? So there's some real, you know, some issues that get in there um, that seem complicated. People generally just want to turn on their lights and that's energy, right? Um, and there's a lot that goes into it and a lot of, you know, policymakers, state, um, stakeholders. So I think it's the, the education piece of, you know, what's, what's controlled at the state level where you have Make, can make the difference and then what is happening at the national level and then there's politics in that you know you don't want the overreach of government in, in, in any sense you want states to be able to determine um you know property issues for instance you don't want the federal government doing that that's where we have states and local governments um so you know what's that overreach and the pushback on that and i think rest, respecting what's pro appropriate for states or federal is going to like keep us out of that fight so we can actually start moving forward on things that really matter um, like setting up a tone for where we're going, um, getting some market certainty, whether it's tax, you know, any kind of tax reform, or if it's a credit, or if it's, you know, obviously lots of money going to our D&D, what does that look like, right? Um, that's, that seems to be, but I'll tell you, in, in going up on the Hill and talking to a, a member or a senator um, from, let's call it South Carolina, they are very sensitive to the booming industry in South Carolina. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, pretty Republican state overall, two Republican senators um, have put their names to letters making and trying to protect the industry, whether it's tariffs or anything else. Um, so there's, there, it's not even an issue about clean energy and which office you're going into because of the business and the economics are so involved in the new South economy. Um, as, they, as Nikki Haley called it, the governor, former governor of South Carolina. It, 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 there's just no issue. However, if I went to, um, you, know, you know, call it Utah and wanted to talk to them about wind farms, you know, they may not really get into it. You know, they may, it, they're looking at all the above. They're looking more about, um, you know, they're, they're, they're dealing with more conservation issues, inversion in, in Salt Lake with the, the pollution issues and how do we overall reduce emissions they want to talk about electric vehicles. So we're going to talk to them about electric vehicles. And SPI so, was in Salt Lake City last year. Absolutely. And yeah. I, think it was the, you know, and I think the governor of Utah has done a terrific job of really walking the walk. But it's like, what are we, am I going to just go sell them on one issue? No, we want to solve problems using clean yep. energy. And I think that's what's so exciting about, um, you know, clean energy overall. It's, it's, got, it's got a little bit of everything. Yeah, great. And so, so what I'm hearing, um, Heather, I just want to see if I can recap this properly, is, you know, the federal government can exist, you know, needs to um, construct a favorable regulatory environment uh, so that everybody is kind of swimming in the same direction and knows what's going to come tomorrow. That's always a huge thing. So there's less market uncertainty. They um, also need to make sure the tax environment, whether it's tax credits, whether it's tax breaks, whether it's whatever the subsidy may be in terms of, you know, you call it a tax break, but it's some kind of subsidy, whether or not, uh, you know, whatever that is and making sure that's transparent and clear. Um, 
And then I guess, um, so, you know, I, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, what are your thoughts, though, on some of these programs? I don't know if they still had it, but I know the DOE for a while basically had kind of their own, um, you know, uh, con uh, contest or um, their own pot of money that they would award to companies that they thought would succeed. So essentially picking winners and losers, as opposed to just creating, again, uh, uh, an incentive type of environment that gets everybody the opportunity and then the market decides who wins and loses. So uh, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, there's like, like the RPE program, for instance, was was created. You're, you're going in and uh, that's kind of early stage money. But there yeah. are a lot of grand challenges that are happening. The, I think the largest, one of the largest ones they have right now is dealing with energy storage, energy storage, a grand yeah. challenge. And I'm, I'm just thinking even back like incentive. 15 years ago, I was through the whole Cylindra debacle. But, you know, so. Oh, yeah. Well, that was also loans. That was also dealing with loans, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and giving and, and giving guarantee, a guarantee of yeah. loans. And that that's a little bit, that's different than these very promising innovations um, and putting some money behind them where the market is, is not willing to invest right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think what, you know, we all know about the valley of death there. And the idea is how does it, can the Department of Energy you know, get out of just basic research and, and, and do also some of the advanced research yeah. and be funding some of that. And I, I would contend, um, and people will agree with me who are from, the, from a, a right of center for approach, but I would contend that that is an appropriate role for government. If for nothing else, you don't know what you're going to innovate and create. And if you're, if you're not going to take care of that, someone else is going to, and it's likely to be a country like China or Russia yeah. or, or um, somewhere in the Middle East. And, yeah. you know, we need to be keeping that there's homegrown innovations right here at home. Yeah. And there are some, I mean, great examples. Like, and we do a lot of work with NREL. So NREL's has partnerships with Wells Fargo and, and, and other, um, you know, large institutions and, and they're doing lots of innovation uh, you know, in the clean energy world. Um, and then uh, there's a lot, of, obviously a lot going on in the private sector as well uh, when it comes to energy management, efficiency, storage. Um, I mean, there's just, it, there, there's, there's a huge amount. And, and recently, um, you know, so I guess taking a step back, um, corporate America woke up to the fact that A, it's good for them, right? They're, they're, they have an interest, self-interest in carbon mitigation and a cleaner planet uh, and uh, trying to cut off or, or, or stop uh, climate change. So they understood that. And, and you had this, I guess, product emerge, uh, or idea emerge of ESG investing, right? So every major financial institution in the world, pretty much, along with all the Fortune 100, started to say, okay, you know what, if we're going to invest in your pension fund, in your venture capital fund, in your you know, hedge fund, we want to make sure you're allocating X amount of money towards ESG investing. So what happens, of course, is now you have a huge pool of money uh, that is on the sidelines waiting to be deployed into a lot of different industries, but renewables is definitely one of them. Uh, and uh, so the market is taking a liking to it. The public markets are rewarding these companies. And there's lots of, as I said, cash on the sidelines right now that are is waiting to be deployed to some of these companies. It almost seems like, I mean, the mobility sector, which is um, you know, very related, if not uh, kind of the handmaiden to renewables. Um, I mean, it seems like a mobility sector company, uh, you know, uh, mobility sector in general uh, produces a daily freshly minted unicorn. So, you know, we see the public sector, we see the private sector. I asked you about federal government, state government respective roles. Now, how do we look at public private partnerships and their respective, uh, you know, their, their roles? Well, there's a couple a couple of thoughts there. First of all, the disconnect between what's going on on Wall Street 
you know, there's investor the investor community and what's going on in the policy making in Washington DC is terrible, right? They're just they are just just night and day. I I, I can't bring enough um, investors to Washington to talk about what they're doing and particularly to talk about what's going on in that state and local and federal issues. What going on to hold up progress. The regulatory barriers are, and the red tape is just significant. So um, we're working around that, but are we putting more layers of, of an onion on? I'm trying to work around something that's there. So I, I think I think our policy making is just not set up. We saw this also, um, we saw this in the 90s with um, the internet. And um, we saw it earlier in the 80s, 70s and 80s with um, telecom. Um, this this idea of, of innovation happening and the keeping up with it. Congress is just behind. Um, but so how do we learn from that, you know, there's mistakes and, and, and be more proactive. So um, I'm, and I also think in Washington, a lot of the, uh, the messengers and a lot of them are, are trade associations that do a terrific job. And I work with so many of them, um, but we talk about the politics. They go and look at who's the head of the organization or who's the lobbyist walking in the door. And if they've worked for, you know, a congressman or a senator with a D next to their name, they may not be heard as much, right? And it's, it's, that's unfortunate, but the same goes when you have an R next to your name going into a D office too. It's just, it's a reality and I, I can't explain why, but it's just a reality. So what we need is to get rid of the labels, Right, someone coming in and saying I'm financing something, get rid of the labels and come in and talk. So, I think that's like one area. And the second area you're talking about, everyone's doing the, um, the the investments. The ESG is also it's it's becoming a kitchen table issue, right? Sustainability, recycling, any of this. It, it's a, and I think now we're even more alerted because we are we're in a crisis really of our own here dealing with COVID. Um, on top of that, we have um, wildfires going on out west that are devastating. Um, the Gulf Coast is just hit by a, you know, a second and third hurricane in you know, just a few weeks. Um, and record rain is falling in some areas and not raining in others. You know? So we've got wacky weather. Um, so I think communities are open to what does preparedness look like. Um, I think they're open to, on the, on the state and federal levels, they want to see their lawmakers prepare for the future. Um, and, you know, that can be, you know, in their healthcare, but it also certainly should be in our energy and our security of our grids, the updating of our grids. Um, I think there's just an opportunity in the next couple of years to really um, dig into this. And I think there will be an appetite because I think there will be voter support. It's complicated, so it isn't like they're going to understand everything. But when you say, I need to go spend money and take care of the people, people generally say, yes, please do. Yeah, no, I agree. And, uh, you know, of course, the problem with government always is that, uh, you know, in Congress, if it's two years or six years, the president, four years, you're thinking only in terms of, you know, the next reelection. So uh, and that's you why know, you want the win-win. I mean, that's why you're looking yeah. for all those to rise, right? Yeah. So you're, you yeah. have to, when you're going in and trying to, to get, you know, a policy solution, you've got to be thinking, it's not just, this is a, this is really good for the community, the end. Yeah. It's not. So it, it's, you know, a little bit like playing chess sometimes, but I think that the exciting part about innovation and technology and clean energy and jobs, you're know, packaging that all together um, there's a lot to like, just got to be able to talk in those different ways and not like, it's clean energy, we're going to save the earth. 
yeah, there's exactly. so many other things. Those slogans don't work. About. Yeah, yeah, they don't. They yeah. just don't work everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you know, Heather, we got a few minutes left, uh, and um, you know, I really want to give you a few minutes to uh, promote National Clean Energy Week and all the exciting programs and speakers and agenda items and everything else going on, and also. Uh, related to that, um, you know, the websites people should visit, and I'm sure you, you're active yourself on social media, so how they can follow you and, and ac access your content. So the floor is yours. Oh, aren't you kind. So National Clean Energy Week in 2020 is next week, September 21st to the 25th. Um, there is, it's virtual because we need to be in a virtual environment right now to be safe, but it doesn't mean we can't learn. Uh, so we have five days of programming that include um, really the, the, a lot of the who's who and clean energy and making policy. It's our policymakers symposium. Um, we have the Deputy Secretary of Energy. We've got the um, heads of the relevant committees in the House and, and the Senate. We've got state lawmakers. We've got financiers um, all talking. So you can find all of this um, at nationalcleanenergyweek.org. Um, and we're going to put that website. we're going to put that in our show notes as well. Oh, that's terrific. It, it, it really is, um, you know, come in and learn. We'll also um, be recording a lot of these. So if you, you know, don't have time to watch five days straight of uh, your 30 hours of content, um, they will be recorded as well. And you can, you can check back and, and read, uh, you know, review. But um, it, it's just going to be a recognition of the value of clean energy. There'll be some disagreements and there'll also hopefully be some terrific ideas and partnerships that come out of it. Fantastic. And what about your own kind of social media and how people can follow you? Yeah, well, Heather Reams at Citizens for Responsible Energy Solutions. So I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I tend to be pretty active there. Um, and Heather underscore at Heather underscore Reams, R-E-A-M-S on Twitter. Uh, so you can find me there. But I, I try to make myself super available and uh, try to connect with people on LinkedIn. Um, I like to connect and to, um, you know, to make new friends in this space, because I think we also all need to row in the same direction as well. Well, that's a great way to uh, end our conversation. So Heather, thank you so much for joining us on Raising Your Antenna and look forward to meeting in person soon once all this pandemic crazy is behind us. I'm looking forward to it too. Thank you very much for having me. And another episode of Raising Your Antenna is in the books. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and look forward to connecting again next week. Raising Your Antenna is a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, Keith Zakheim, that features the movers and shakers and key influencers of the B2B technology industry. Our guests are leading revolutions and disruptions in the mobility, clean energy, healthcare, and real estate technology industries. Raising Your Antenna is brought to you by Antenna Group, a full-service digital marketing and public relations agency that focuses on the B2B technology industry. Please be in touch with me on Twitter at czackheim with any feedback about this podcast. And check out Antenna Group at www.antennagroup.com if your organization is looking for a really smart and good-looking marketing and public relations partner.